Hey guys, it's your boy Vinny B from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news, all TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right, TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Hip Hop Thursday edition of the Morning Tailgate here on Raider Nation Radio. It's Vinny Bonsignor, Heidi Fang, myself, Clay Baker, and you here on this beautiful and perfect day as we broadcast live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studios here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We've got a lot to get into today as we will explore certain things about the Raiders' defense. All defense today as you start to remind yourself, yeah, they're counting on new faces, but how thin are they at certain position groups? We'll talk about the defensive line as well as who could take the biggest step from year one on the defense. 69187 is the Sam and Ash text line. 69187 because you deserve what's right. You can also hit us up on Twitter at RNR920 AM and on the Realty One Group listener line, 702-365-9200. At 9 o'clock today, we will talk with rapper, artist, musician, filmmaker, Ice Cube. He's also the founder of the Big Three. They kick it off and tip it off this weekend in Chicago. Cube joins us at 9 o'clock, 7.30. Get a chance to talk to Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. He'll join us, and we'll talk to him about the Raiders, as well as the draft and more here on Raider Nation Radio. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good morning. Morning. Hello. (laughs) Oh, man, I tell you, this is a... uh, Morning shows are funny because it, it it makes it tests your mental strength in the morning, your acuity, but also <laughs> tests your ability. Can you get any sleep in the summer? You know, and it's always like that transition of like when things get hot and you you try to like uh, try to get comfortable. And I don't know about you, but for the last two weeks, I've not been able to get one shred of normal sleep. I came in here and I told you guys. I said, "How about waking up with a toddler's hand in your mouth of <laughs> nowhere." Like you put him to bed in his bed, and you wake up all of a sudden, you're like you're choking on a pinky finger that was probably wrapped in Play-Doh earlier. That he, you know, he likes to stick stickers all over his hand too. So I was lucky I didn't get one of those bad boys down the windpipe. Oh, that's good, yeah. Because next thing you know, you're like, <laughs> I was wondering why you're wearing Paw Patrol stickers. Today. Yeah, I, was, well, I actually did a double take, Clay. Yeah. I was like, am I? <laughs> Parenthood. It is all it's cracked up to be, and more. And nobody no told doubt. us that. Nobody told us that when we were uh, no young, books. when we were younger, and we realized, okay, uh, yeah. Did, did you uh, when you were um, your little ones were little, Vinny? You were like surprised at how quickly they could find their way into the bed at night, and you're like, wait a minute, what? There's not enough room for everybody. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, early, especially early on, that's that's it's like. For my son, that was the only way he fell asleep. It was asleep right in between. Um, oh, and so, you know, you, and you have to, that, that's the other, t- you know, it's, it's, um, tough love sometimes. We, you get yeah, him out, but, get him out. Uh, which is true enough, except that, you know, if you really don't want to sleep, then tough love makes sure that you don't sleep because the crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. And crying. You gotta let them so cry it just, out. Uh, <laughs> I'm you too know, tired for guilt. Yeah. No, it's just, it just, all right, here, be quiet. Let me sleep. And so the, uh, the, the crampedness, um, 
was 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 to me a, a, a trade off for just being able to sleep. You <laughs> yeah. know, not the screeching loud crying noise. So, uh, but real quick, did you guys hear this about Mark Davis? Yeah, this is a fascinating story. I didn't know this came out. Um, we we, we got to talk about it. Do tell. Just posted a story on the Las Vegas Review Journal. You could go to Vegas Nation, uh, the app, or VegasNation.com, uh, and it really explains and really points home how small this world really is and this country really is. We all know about the tragic shooting, um, mass shooting in Uvalde, Uvalde, Texas. Rob Elementary School, I think it was 17 students and two teachers ended up um, getting killed. Mm. And so that turns out, Ovaldi, it turns out, is is the hometown of Van McElroy, former Raiders safety, former Super Bowl champion uh, with the Raiders. And um, Van McElroy got to talking to Mark Davis about how obviously distraught Uvalde was and um, just how devastated the city was. And Mark, the Raiders owner, is like, you know, hey, what can I do to help? Is there anything that I can do to help? And Van McElroy told him, look, you know, um, the school district is trying to trying to figure out ways to make the schools in the district safer, um, you know, uh, but they need money to do it. And so Mark Davis is basically, how much do you need? And Van McElroy was like, well, about a million dollars. And Mark Davis wrote him a check for a million dollars to uh, go to the school district to help all of its schools. Uh, they're going to build fences around the school uh, that they call that they that they are describing as unscalable. So they're going to be pretty high. Obviously, there's going to be cameras that are going to be put um, on the outside of each campus, the inside of each campus, impenetrable do- doors uh, that are going to build. Obviously, um, you know, there's there's so much that we need to do, including n- new rules and regulations and, and laws and things like that. I don't want to get too political uh, to to you know, start really uh, addressing this issue, but at the very least, and good on Mark Davis uh, for saying, what do you need? How can I help? And then writing the check to do exactly that. It's uh, it's really amazing to think that, you know, Mark was able to, you know, not only to have, uh, of course, we know he has empathy uh, across the board on so many levels, but to also have the hand to do it to go and execute a, a, a check and like to say like, yeah, there's a lot of problems that, that need to get addressed, but one at a time, and if you needed funding for something that you felt like we need this to at least give uh, hope for the children and for the parents of the children when they go to this school, that at least there is an effort trying to make it safe. Yeah, and you have to, you can't go any further than that until that becomes, you know, your your basic your your bedrock to build a foundation on. And Heidi, you're gonna find this out here pretty soon. Um, I, and I I didn't really realize this until I had kids and kids went to school. The lack of money for basic things is. Oh yeah, I already knew. My sister's a teacher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like <laughs> it's it, it ends up becoming you know uh, just part of a, a a yearly, monthly, almost daily routine for parents to basically pay for the things that when we were kids. We just took for granted, you know, mm-hmm. every all the supplies that were needed, all of the. And I'm oh, talking about basic true. stuff, mm-hmm. glue, <laughs> you know. Even the daycare I have my son at, they're always asking for donations yeah. of crayons, of like, um, you know, just anything that they can use, construction paper, exactly. glue. Okay. It's and that happens at schools, even even now in high schools and things like that. And you're just, you know, you realize how uh, thin the the you know, the uh, the budgets are, and 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 so it, it, it helps that somebody like a Mark Davis steps up and and puts that kind of money towards something like this. He was quoted um, in the Uvalde Leader News saying that he said that Uvalde was in pain after talking with uh, Van McElroy, uh, saying that I asked him 
what we could do to help ease that pain. You know, and it's like conversations have to get started somewhere. Yeah. And I think there's um, a lot to be said about it. You know, somebody like Mark Davis to go in and do this. This is not in uh, California or in Nevada. This is in Texas. And, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of money in Texas, but nobody had, had really stepped up to go and do that as just some sort of, you know, uh, the, the right thing to do, not only beyond what a charitable arm can do, but why would it take so long for other uh, investors and money that's in Texas? Mark Davis was the first to go and do it. He didn't have to go and, uh, you know, go through layers and layers of uh, red tape. He just writes the check and gets it done. Yeah, and when you hear uh, Heidi, once a Raider, always a Raider, mm-hmm. this is another clear example uh, of that. You know, Van McElroy, I know when I was younger, um, was a huge part of the Raiders. I mean, he was a a really good player. Like I said, he was on a Super Bowl champion team, um, you know, a stalwart on those defenses. And um, obviously, you know, uh, his life takes him in another direction after playing football. But um, when you play for the Raiders, it's a lifelong commitment on both ends. Yep. You always see it everywhere. Yeah. It's it's everywhere. It's written all over the building. It's written in the parking lot. It's written when you go in. It's written when you go out. And, you know, it's like constantly a a mantra that's always there. And I, I don't think, you know, it's obviously more than that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, these contributions, they're they're hard to find, but it, it's really a, a heartwarming when you think about all the stuff that can be done with, with the certain money that that goes to go and make a, a school safe and a, and a district safe. But as you said, like even in southern Nevada, a, you know, Nevada itself doesn't have a state tax or other state generating revenue that uh, goes towards, you know, public schools at all. And everything has to be done on, you know, there is some money that gets counted out of the budget, but for the most part, things are done by private donations. They need help right. from every uh, student's parents and then some from the community. So, uh, yeah, you, you take a look at how this, this moment in time for, um, you know, Southern Nevada, for example, with, there was a small lockdown situation across the street from where I live uh, uh, last week. And my son was taking a part of like a little uh, three-week course at the middle school, getting ready for next year. And uh, they had a lockdown because there was a threat, a social media threat. So the high school, the veteran center, and the middle school was shut down and on lockdown as police came out with dogs to go and sniff through the desks and all that. There was no threat. There was nothing that uh, that was uh, viable. But they weren't going to leave anything to chance. They weren't mm-hmm. going to sit around and say, well, uh, you know, it seems like it's nothing, just a post on Instagram. Well, they took it very seriously because they want to avoid and prevent problems. And, and that's, a, that's a sobering reminder of where we're at right now. Yeah, you get the text messages all the time uh, as parents, you know, that there's a lockdown, there's activity going on near the school or on the school, and it's 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 caused this lockdown. And it's, you know, it's like it's heartbreaking that we're even at that point. Uh, but it's also very frightening as a parent because you don't know. you there, There's control that you don't have at that point, and you just everything goes through your mind on what is happening, what's going on. Fortunately, we have uh, uh, cell phones. I know I've texted, you know, my kids, are everything okay? Is it what's going on? You know, so we have... Uh, some communication, but it's just, it's stuff that we didn't really have to deal with when we were kids. Well, for you guys. Yeah, Heidi uh, shared a, t- a story for yeah. us. Uh, like, just as a simple track meet uh, was, mm-hmm. was something that put we people had, in danger. Yeah, we had an incident there when I was a kid. We had constant police officers patrolling my school. We had, um, it was before the era of metal detectors being installed, but like we had a, a carnival that was and I don't say this in any joking way, like we all called it the death carnival because every time we had the carnival at the school, somebody would die on the first night. And 
Yeah. And I always had to go because I was part of sports and I was part of cheerleading. And we used to sell it was a way for the groups to make their money. You got to so, volunteer. Yeah. We'd go out there and we'd, you know, put the shirts on and our uniforms on. And, you know, we lost somebody every year. That's just terrible. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't grow up in an easy situation with that. I had a friend that I lost at a, uh, at a young age and it was, it was hard. Uh, so, you know, it's like, it, those circumstances, I, I don't want to boast about. I just want to use it as an example to tell people that you know you there's there's other people out there that need to grow and and have normal experiences. And you know, it's of course every different place you live is going to have different things. But you know, one kid just got into it over another kid over a girl. He was a very promising three you mm. know three sport athlete lost so oh, lost no. at a young age. Shame, absolute shame. Yeah, it's just, uh, and I think you're a little younger than us too. So, um, oh, you know, oh. <laughs> we'll compare. We'll compare later. I know. I know. We were we were trying. I to wrap like... myself in cellophane and freeze myself at night. <laughs> Does that work really? Because I've often thought about oh, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Just throw some Vaseline on, wrap yourself up in cellophane, leave a hole for breathing, and you're good. There's not yeah. enough cellophane to cover this curve. <laughs> you know, I would need to go to Costco and go to the big like you know uh, industrial re- restaurant detail. Uh, I, I think though. Uh, this is a uh, yeah. This is a moment in time where you're like wondering if um, you know if you can get at least the funds to make a, a place safe. Then maybe you can start teaching yeah. humanity right. and empathy and, yeah. and and how to avoid uh, escalations of that, that we have seen. Right. Yeah. I would love love if there was one day that I, I always say this and I've said it a couple of times here and I really mean it. Like if I ever made enough money where I could be like I want to do something for my old school. I'd love to because it's not a great neighborhood. They don't get a lot of funding. And, you know, like for years we were running on a hard compressed dirt track. Like, I think that's why my knees are completely gone. You guys see me get up from the chair. Sometimes I'm like (laughs) my knees. I'm like oil can. It's like it's no joke. Like there, there was no grass on the turf for the football players. They're playing on straight dirt. Like my my knees running on that track. It was hard compressed dirt. Oh, I've often, yeah, and they think because your kids are like, oh, that'll be fine. I sure have fun. You know, they, they, it was uneven. Yeah. I was hitting hurdles and like <laughs> on a tilt. <laughs> What's that noise? That's Heidi's knee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, disparity, I'd love to do the disparity is sinful. It's, I always thought, like, yeah, is, you put yeah. you put kids into sports, it gives them something else to focus on. It right. gives them a positive to go look to do during the day. You know, when you're instead of sitting around hanging out, they had to close down this whole area of black bathrooms right. at my school because that's where deals were being done. Right. They had to close it completely down. And you couldn't even go over. It was a girl's locker room that was around a cut behind a bush and it had like a little alley by it. So they had to cut it down and and like shut it off. And so the girls had to go in this whole other different way to get in to use the locker rooms. That's worse than the Brown Stadium. When I covered high school sports, seeing the differences between schools, you know, the the private schools and the L.A. city section schools and and just the, the, the lack of funding. Um, or the disparity uh, in funding. I'll, I'll tell you guys a, a, a story. You know, uh, 
uh, one school reported another school because there was an ineligible player that was playing, you know, and uh, my, my editor's like, Vinny, go find out. It's a little running back over at Reseda High School, you know, and he's tearing it up, playing really well. It's a low-level program, but go, you know, uh, supposedly the, that running back is, doesn't live in that school district. Right, that What's name going is an on? outlier. Yeah. So I go over there, right? All I know about Reseda, California, I learned from the Karate Kid. Yep, exactly. Sorry, but um, go on. <laughs> so, so I go out there, and I and I approach the kid, and, um, and I said, hey, man, you know, I'm here from the LA Daily news da, 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 this is what i'm hearing this is what we're hearing he's and he was straight up he's like yeah i don't i don't live in this district and then he explained to me why where he was his mom had an abusive relationship with her boyfriend it was a, a chaotic situation an unsafe situation and so he's like i, I you know uh, i couldn't live there anymore so i moved in with my buddy who lives over here his family a little bit safer and honestly man this is all i have is football this is what gets me up in the morning to go yeah. and go to school and all that. So I, I listened to him and mm-hmm. I and I heard him and I, I went back to my editor. I go, look, you can write that story if you want, but I'm not writing this story. I go, that's the only thing that he's not he's not going anywhere. He's not going to UCLA or he's not a big recruit. He's a kid that's playing football and and that and and playing football is keeping him in school right now. To me, that outweighs whether or not he actually lives there or what you know, we're talking about a low level program. I go, you want to write the story? Go write the story. I'm not ever putting my name on that. I'm not doing that to that kid because this is something that is important to him and he needs this uh, right now. And my editor's like, all right, okay, good. We'll, 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 we'll bury That's it. That's great. Yeah. That's good because sometimes people will take the a subject like that and, and go right into the corruption angle of like, oh, people trying to take advantage of the system. And they always point to the athlete as being the, 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 the person that's like, you know, you know, destroying the sanctity of, of scholastic sports. There's a, there's a spirit of the rule. There's, there's the rule and then there's a spirit of the rule. It wasn't hurting anybody that, that he was no. there. Nick Young, the former NBA player, was in the same situation. Oh, really? He grew up in, in the inner city. Well, he moved, his family moved to the inner city in Dorsey. His brother gets shot at a park as part of a gang ritual. This, his brother was just a guy that was playing basketball um, at this park in L.A. And there was a gang ritual of you got to go shoot somebody to be in this gang. Mm-hmm. And that's who they shot was Nick's brother, all right? Nick, at this time, was like 13 years old or so, just completely distraught, blown away. And so he bounced from school to school, okay, for, for, for a couple of years. And you know when you start school, your, your clock starts, your athletic clock starts, right? So And you can't get that back. You're a freshman. This is where you start. That's oh, it. Oh, I got you. Okay. Right? Like, you know, clock, so your eligibility. Like, like you have to wake up for practice clock? Or, yeah. No, I got you. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying, your eligibility. So, so and he ends up at Cleveland High School, turns his life around, finds basketball. The, the head coach became like a father figure to him. And so – he gets to a point where he's he's running out of eligibility. All right, and so it was. It came to a point where the the uh, superintendent had to decide whether or not he was going to be allowed to play that following year. Oh my okay? gosh! So I wrote this column. I wrote this column. That's why Nick and I are very close to this day. I wrote this column saying. You can't do this to this kid. You got to look at what he's gone through. He didn't play those years that he was at Darcy High School or wherever it was uh, when his clock started started running. Um, he hasn't. There's nothing wrong going on here. You're going to take something away from somebody that needs this. This is he's turned his life around because of basketball, and now he's become a really good student, and he's on the verge of going to college. And if you take this away from him, you might be taking all that away from yeah. him. And they decided. They decided. We'll give him his fifth year. So, you know, and it's little things like that where there's some stupidity that goes on. Mm -hmm. And and you know what? 
I mean, I, I had a position in order with a column to be able to to write and a lot of people to see it. And, and, and fortunately, it all worked. But I'm sure there's other kids that are in that same exact situation that don't have, you know, that forum or somebody to, to go to bat for them in that regard. And who knows how many kids get, you know, lost, uh, you know, uh, through or follow through the cracks because of that. And it's and for stupid, stupid reasons. It's like every kid, every kid I knew at Mount Pleasant, like that could be them. Yeah. Like the athletic clock that you talked about, like, you know, so many of them didn't know how to go apply for a scholarship yep. or how to reach out to people to come watch them play at a yep. game, you know. Um, and we have really talented track athletes. Our, our, our tracks, I've talked about my coach there yeah. a lot, and he um, helped me get into um, different programs. Like I actually ended up getting scouted by like three different colleges right. and I couldn't end up going to any of them because I had injured myself and it was all athletic scholarships and I would have right. had to keep up a certain precedent. So anyhow, mm-hmm. long story short, I ended up um, going on academic to another school, but awesome. it was, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was good to have the sports background yeah. to be able to get that. Or I wouldn't be sitting in this, in this chair. Right. I wouldn't be here. Well, that's also like uh, if if you do take that away, then give us the alternative to what you would offer them in in you know as for second base. You know, like no. what, what what's the alternative option for them? Uh, nothing. This this is it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And in Nick's case, he was getting bust from uh, downtown oh, wow. Los Angeles to that's the, far to the <laughs> to valley. Reseda? Oh, yeah. to the okay. You talked to Ice Cube. It wasn't Ice Cube in that situation? I think he might have been. I guess I think he might be a valley. Yeah, he's guy. actually because um, his birthday was yesterday. Looking to reschedule, so we might have to bring Ice Cube in. Yes. Um, tomorrow. That's or fine. I'm, I'm going to work it out here on the break. But. I, by the way, Ice Cube would be at those games yeah. when when Nick would play uh, Jordan Farmer, who is in the rival school. Taft High School, and 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 Ice's kids, I think uh, Cube's kids, I think were going to uh, Taft at that time too. So, oh, wow. you know, and and they he didn't go. It, it's funny, some of those parents didn't send their kids to the private schools. They're like, no, mm-hmm. you go to the you go to the school that I kind of went, you know, yeah, um, and learn and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, Ice Cube, we'll talk about that. Would would always be at all those games. Those are some big games when Farmar and Nick Young played against each other. Um, you know, in that little league in in the San Fernando Valley, it was it was big news, and people would say <laughs> Jeffrey Osborne would be there. You know, like like when word gets out, and I'm sure there's the same thing in the Bay Area of a great high school basketball, especially a basketball player. You know, everybody wants to. What's all the hype about? You know, uh, this person or or, or Gary Payton? You know, yeah. uh, in oh, up yeah. in Oakland. Trust me, everybody that's somebody that is uh, a sports fan wants to go find out what's the Gilbert Arenas. I hear this guy Gilbert Arenas is scoring all these. They got to go check him out, and sure enough, you'd see all these stars at these high school games. You know, at four o'clock in the afternoon. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, they did that in Detroit with Chris Weber. It was a little little school called Country Day. Yeah, and these parking lots would (laughs) swell. You could you couldn't even get within like a half mile of the of the high school because there was so much fanfare for it, and nobody had a ticket because the place was completely sold out but just to even get a glimpse of what the what the scene was like it, it, it was like uh you know hollywood or something that come to detroit right? all of a sudden i can't believe somehow we've talked about chris weber twice this week but go ahead <laughs> i know chris weber is getting a lot of run on yeah, this show like chris weber oh god we talked about chris weber chris somebody weber. on the text line 69187 uh once asked Vinny if when you were in receda did you go to golf and stuff <laughs> that's ventura yeah that's ventura yes i wasn't yeah. sure if it was completely fictitious like if it was just a made-up place that, no there it's like Central Perk yeah, Cafe. Right. I can't tell you how many times when I was in New York and I was waiting tables, people would come in and say, can you tell us where Central Perk Cafe is? <laughs> Does not exist. They're, they were looking for Chandler. That's yeah. great. Can I tell you guys a quick Chris Weber story? Oh, for yeah. sure. Which will drive all of this home. Yeah. So uh, when the Lakers were playing the, the Kings 
in the Western Conference Finals in the early 2000s, and that was a great Sacramento Kings team with Weber and Vladi Divas. The one that got robbed Pages. because of yeah, the definitely. Tim Donahue. Yeah. Oh, they <laughs> were on their way to winning that title. Definitely. Um, oh, man. So uh, I was covering it for the Daily News in L.A., but I was covering it. This is when we had all kinds of money to do stuff. Uh, I was covering it from the Kings' perspective. So I would be at all the Kings' practices up in Sacramento and L.A., you know, doing it from their perspective. So I got to know a lot of the Sacramento Kings throughout through, throughout all of that. And uh, and so one day I asked Chris Weber, uh, I was doing the story, besides yourself, who would you want to win an NBA championship for most, Right. Besides you, take your yourself out of the equation. And this almost makes me cry every time I bring it up. So I'm going to have to try to hold it in. So he's like, that's easy, man. He goes, my mom. He goes, uh, he goes, you know, my mom got me to every practice, every game, every this, every that. Not just me, but all the kids in the neighborhood, you know, whenever I needed to. He goes, I didn't even realize this. But she would work extra hours one day in order to take off a little early the next day oh to get God. me. He goes, I didn't find that out until I just took it for granted. Oh like she God. was there, you know, like she was there. She was taking me to everywhere I needed to be, every everything. And I didn't realize the, the you know, the corners that she would cut here and then have to make it up there because they still needed money and all that, you know, uh, in order to make that happen. And he goes, so when you're asking me who I want to win a championship for, that's who I want to win a championship for. Oh, that's a beautiful story. I want a story. championship for my mom too. Yeah. I owe her so much right now. Right. I do. Yeah. And she's even our special advisor to the show content. Yep. <laughs> and our uh, Commodore's correspondent. And I love you. I love you, Mom. <laughs> it's twenty four seven, right? Yeah, always. It's twenty four seven and on and on and on and on and on. Oh, what a beautiful story. And uh we'll stop there to take a break because uh Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl is gonna join us next. Uh here on Raider Nation Radio. It's Vinny Bonsignor, Heidi Fang, Clay Baker, and you. Let's go. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio. It's the morning tailgate on a hip hop Thursday. Thank you for being with us. Heidi Fang, Vinny Bonsignor, myself, Clay Baker, and joining us now it's Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. Former NFL scout as well as analyst. Follow him on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Jim, it's awesome having you on. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning. Appreciate you having me back on. You know, I got to ask you, Jim, you know, you've been a part of six Super Bowl teams, including two rings with the New England Patriots. Just to start off with, could you describe the kind of philosophies that Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler have brought over and are going to employ with the Raiders? Uh, yeah, you know, Josh was in New England with me, and, and, uh, and I know Dave really well. Just, uh, you know, for, for my four years here at the Senior Bowl, we've gotten uh, developed a good relationship. But I can't, I can't tell you what they're going to do leaving New England. I'm sure there's some things they'll take from there. There's things they'll value. I mean, I, you know, just going back on my time there, um, you know, football intelligence and position versatility, I mean, those are things that are kind of central to you know, the way the Patriots scout and, and how they value players. But again, that's, this is their, this is their deal now. This is their show. And, and, uh, you know, Josh has had an opportunity before in Denver and, and that was a long time ago. And I'm sure he's, uh, you know, had a chance to sit back and reflect and, you know, a chance to build something new, um, things he would take. So I, I can't speak for those guys. I just know those are, those are a couple of, uh, couple key principles that we, we always value position versatility, uh, football intelligence, and you can see that kind of how they're building the roster in the offseason. A lot of guys they've added are are smart guys, and and you know you always want to bring guys familiar with your system. So I know there's there's some former Patriots that they've brought in. So 
Um, those are just maybe a couple things I'd look for. I love that you bring that up, the position versatility, because that's something that you've seen, like you said, that they've really uh, paid a lot of attention to in the athletes that they are bringing to the forefront here with this team. I'm particularly interested in a couple, Divine Diablo and Dylan Parham. What is your assessment of how on one side, obviously, you have Divine Diablo being the uh, linebacker, converted linebacker, and now uh, Dylan Parham, who's played uh, virtually almost, as he said, almost every position on the offensive line. What do you make of those two guys, how they fit in with this team? Yeah, so we had Divine in, in the Senior Bowl a year ago um, before the, the, Raiders, the Raiders drafted him out there, and he was a guy that you know played, uh, was a position conversion guy at Virginia Tech, played on the offensive side of the ball, uh, moved him into defense and more as a safety. We actually trained him at linebacker here at the Senior Bowl, kind of cross-trained him. He played nice. some linebacker, he played some safety. Um, so, uh, you know, knowing that that's probably going to be his home, you usually, if, if there's that question, whether guys are safety or linebacker coming out of college, they usually end up at linebacker. Um, so to hear, I heard he did some really good things, didn't get a chance to see much. I, I really don't get a chance to watch much NFL tape anymore, uh, cause we're so focused on college. Sure. But, um, just talking to the guys in the building, like they're really excited about where Divine's at and played some really good ball for him last year when they got him on the field. Um, so it's a rangy guy, rangy space athlete that can cover people. And, and those guys are hard to find in the league. So, um, you know, I, I feel like they almost got a little bit of a steal there last year. And then, and then Dylan is similar, you know, he went to, he went to Memphis as a tight end. Um, and he's one of those guys that just kept growing. I think that, uh, Memphis of, of, of all the G5, uh, schools in the country, I mean, just senior bowl wise, I think of like Tony Pollard, the running back for, for Dallas and yep. Antonio Gibson, the running back oh, for, yeah. for the Washington commanders. Um, they do a great job of developing their players. And so they, you know, they turned Dylan from a tight end to a guard. Uh, he came down to Mobile and played a bunch of center in the senior bowl, uh, which he hadn't done before, um, and showed really, really well. So he's a flexible athlete. Um, plays with great, great leverage. He's got really good mobility for a big guy. Um, so I think he could start at guard or center, just depending on the need where the Raiders are at roster wise right now. But, um, I think he's going to be a guy that gets on the field early and, and start for a long time in that league. We're talking to Jim Nagy, uh, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Uh, Jim, uh, I want to take you back uh, a year ago uh, to a guy that you know pretty well, Alex Leatherwood, uh, the young offensive lineman for the Raiders. Alabama played in the Senior Bowl uh, last year. Um, you know, a kind of an up and down rookie year, uh, moving positions uh, that doesn't help. There were a lot of injuries on the offensive line that doesn't help. Uh, taking some veteran leadership away from from him to, that he could have let, uh, been leaning on. But as he goes into year two, and there's a lot of talk: is he a center or excuse me, is he a guard? Is he a right tackle? I just want to ask you uh, specifically about right tackle. Is Alex Leatherwood uh, somebody that you feel could hold down uh, that position in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I thought he was coming out. Um, so when Alex came to the Senior Bowl, he only wanted to play left tackle, so we kept him there at left tackle. I thought Alex was more of a right tackle. Um, yeah, I mean, you talked about him. I think I think offensive line right now is about as difficult a position to transition to um, into the league as a rookie. So um, it doesn't surprise me that, that there were some bumps in the road last year. It's, it's tough on those guys, especially when they're, they're being moved around. Um, you know, and you're trying to find a home for him. And so that stuff is in flux. And now you go to year two and the whole new coaching staff. And, and I feel like in the long run, that will be good for Alex's career when you can play for, you know, different position coaches and take some different things from some different guys. But um, early in his career, in the short term, it, it, it's probably a little bit of a setback developmentally um, because you're trying to retrain a bunch of stuff into different principles and concepts that you, you weren't being taught a year ago. So, 
Um, so, yeah, probably stunted his development a little bit with the coaching change. But, yeah, I think keeping him at one spot will certainly help. Um, again, like when I, when I evaluated, evaluated Alex coming out, I thought he was a tackle. Um, stuff moves really fast inside. So, um, you, you know, it's easy just to say, well, maybe guy's not athletic enough to play tackle. Let's just kick him inside. Well, there's, just, there's a lot more moving parts. They move a lot quicker inside. Um, so, to me, that's, that's a tough transition. I don't know if he can make it or not. Um, I, just, I, I thought Alex was going to be a starting right tackle when, when he was coming out of Alabama, and uh, hopefully, he, hopefully he, he, he is that for the Raiders to move forward. Why did, uh, why did you want him to move to right tackle when you were at the Senior Bowl? Did you feel that that was something that would make him maybe a little more marketable if you had that kind of versatility, or was there something more uh, intrinsic to what his, uh, his nature kind of provides that maybe he is more of a right tackle than left tackle? No, um, the former. You you nailed it. No, just to make himself more marketable. I mean, I um, I think these guys like Dylan Parhan's a great example of that. You know, the guy the guy was a, a guard in college and it never snapped. Um, and, and there was a bunch of guys like this year. Cole Strange, the first round pick, of the Patriots had, had played one game at center in all his time at Tennessee, Chattanooga. Zion Johnson, uh, the first round pick of the Chargers, had never played center at Boston College. He was okay. a guard and a left tackle. Um, and those guys just embraced it. You know, even, even the year before that, you got a guy like Quinn Miners from a Division three school that never snapped a ball in a competitive environment, and he comes down to our game and, and plays center and does great, and the Broncos pick him in the third round. So I just think the more you can do in our game, you can really help yourself. So for, you know, Alex took the stance that he only wanted to play one position. So, again, I wasn't going to that's, – that's his choice. That's what he wanted to do. I just think for all guys, like Divine, like Divine embraced the, the, the chance to play some linebacker, which he hadn't done. Um, you know, get up there in the box a little bit and show teams he was willing to do it. I just think when, when players embrace that challenge, um, the NFL sees that in a positive light. So that's all, that's all I was trying to do with Alex is, is kind of showcase, showcase some versatility. But uh, that was his choice, and it, it worked out for him. He won the first round. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's probably good. it was probably good. I wasn't steering his draft process because uh, who knows. But uh, it, all ended up, it all ended up good for Alex. But, no, that's what it was all about. Not that I didn't think he – you know, it was a right tackle and couldn't play left. I just thought, the, you know, to me, I'm always in the mindset, the more you can do, the better off you are. I was always intrigued by the story of Zamir White, who's now with the Raiders. They call him Zeus, I'm sure, as you know. <laughs> I wanted to get your take on Zamir's backstory, what the Raiders have really kind of got in somebody like him, though he doesn't seem to be the most versatile running back uh, as far as what I've seen on tape as in terms of like pass catching and things like that. But what do you make of that pick for the Raiders and uh, the asset that they have drafted in him? Yeah, so we did a lot of work on Zamir, um, you know, leading into our game. We didn't get him in Mobile. He was he was a guy that was eligible for us because he had his diploma as an underclassman. Mm. Um, and he's a guy that really we, – we were on him a year – like going into his, his, his last year there at Georgia, he was a guy that was really high on our board. Uh, he and James Cook, both the Georgia running backs, were, were high up on our board a year ago at this time. But we watched him a bunch. I went and saw Georgia play live last year, and, and he's a good runner. And he, and he got hot in the pre-draft process, I know – um, just, you know, talking to the front office guys like I do leading up to the draft, there was a lot of teams that were targeting Zamir White um, at the beginning of day two in that fourth round range. I mean, I, I think I talked to three or four guys on um, on Friday morning leading into or, – or Saturday morning leading into to day three of the draft that, that really wanted to come away with Zamir White. So um, good first and, down, first and second down back. You're right. They didn't throw him the ball a lot there. That was really kind of James Cook's deal. Um, at Georgia, if they were, they didn't use the, the back out of the backfield much at Georgia, but when they did, it was more James Cook. So 
Um, you have some things to prove that way, but you know, when you take a running back, I mean, fourth round is relatively high these days at running back. So I would think, um, I think the Raiders are probably of the mindset, well, let's pair this guy with, with Jacobs and, and give, uh, give Josh some rest and, you know, kind of go with the platoon system and, and kind of say, and kind of save Josh. So, um, he is the guy that can step right in and run the football. There's no doubt about that. Like the third down stuff remains to be seen. I don't think a lot of teams bank on guys coming in and playing on third down for him anyway. A lot of, a lot of rookie running backs. So, um, but he, he's a really good runner. Uh, he can avoid. He's good on contact. Um, kind of gives you a similar style to Josh Jacobs. You know, they're not all that different. Um, so, no, I, I think it was a good pick. You know, it remains to be seen what he can do in the pass game, though. Jim, speaking about uh, players that uh, really picked up momentum, uh, and specifically at your event, uh, the Senior Bowl, uh, LSU uh, defensive tackle Neil Farrell, who the uh, Raiders also selected in the in the, in the fourth round. I know he won uh, the defensive lineman award uh, at la- at uh, this year's uh, Senior Bowl, um, and somebody that it just seems like uh, the needle is pointing up for for near Neil Farrell. What kind of a player uh, are the Raiders getting in him? Yeah, so Neil's a local guy for us. He went to uh, Murphy High School here in Mobile, so I've been watching Neil quite a bit. And, yeah, you bring up him winning the Defensive Lineman of the Week award, and that's a really meaningful award because it's not just me picking it. That's, uh, that's voted on by the offensive line from his squad that he went up against all week in practice. So, um, to me, that's, that our, our player awards are really meaningful because when you got when you got the guys that you're, you know, you're laying hands on them and they're laying hands on you, 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 you know who the good guys are. So that's why we have the players vote on each other. And, and he did. He had a, he had a great year. Um, I've told Neil and his family, you know, it's a big deal when we have local guys in the game. We had four, we had four mobile guys go. And I think Neil was like the 126th pick, um, out there in Las Vegas. And that gave us, we had six kids from this small community going to in the first 126. Um, so that tells you a little bit about the type of high school football they play around here. Um, but Neil was the guy that really shot up for us this year. So, he was, you know, you probably talked to him after the draft. He was the guy that was, you know, considering sitting out during COVID in 2020, um, kind of made a last-minute decision to play in late August, and, and really was never in great shape. You know, his 2020 tape was, was, wasn't was that great. Uh, I was really honest with, with Neil about that. And he came back just to, uh, you know, put in had a great offseason at LSU and, and really played well his senior year. He earned his spot into the Senior Bowl um, and really earned his spot into the fourth round. I, I would have said, you know, Neil – you know, if he would have come out the year before, would have been a late round guy, maybe even a priority free agent, and then just came back more stamina, really physical player at the point of attack. He's going to help immediately on rundowns. I think he probably has a little more pass rush than some people give him credit for. Um, he did some nice things during one on ones during our week as a pass rusher, just just getting into guys and using that power. Um, you know, but he played some of his best games in in big boy games like Alabama was one of his best games. Um, so to me, he's a guy I know they've, they've got a couple of vets in front of him out there um, that have played a, played a long time in the NFL. He'll learn from those guys. But to me, you know, year two, year three, Neil's going to be your, your every down, um, well, if you run down starter there out, out in Las Vegas. It's interesting because I think you know, the Raiders are kind of uh, anticipating uh, that kind of action as a, at least in a reserve role, but I think he's going to see plenty of time uh, during the season as they could rely on a guy like Matthew Butler uh, as well. What did you see in him? And because he's somebody that is a you know a big body type that kind of fits a certain mold that Patrick Graham has been bringing in this year to kind of fix that in, in that in, that interior part of the hybrid defense for the line. But Matthew Butler is kind of sitting behind Vernon Butler on this uh, defensive tackle uh, position. How do you think he's going to translate into the NFL? 
Yeah, Matthew's a good player. We didn't invite him to the Senior Bowl. He was kind of right below the cut line for us, but a good player, um, versatile guy, played a lot of football. I believe Matthew was a six-year guy at Tennessee, right. uh, a little bit older guy. I think you know that was part of why we shied away. I uh, was you know, worried about the age a little bit and where he would get drafted, but, uh, but a good player, really versatile. I know the guys at the Tennessee love him, you know, love the character of the guy and his football makeup off the field, um, and had a really good senior year. That's another guy kind of late in our process when we start to kind of vet our roster out to the NFL teams and, you know, um, get their input on the guys that we're, we're about to invite. You know, Butler's name was, was Butler is a, a guy whose name came up over and over again with, with a lot of teams. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Neil's got a chance to be a starter pretty early. I think at minimum, Matthew Butler's a guy that's going to play a long time because of the football makeup part of it. Um, and if what you're left with is a, you know, really steady um, backup level player, in the fifth round, that's a that's a that's a good pick. That's a really good pick in the fifth round. Jim, it's great having you on. Thank you again for uh, your insight and perspective on these guys uh, because it, it, it's really good to get your thoughts on this, right, Vinny? Because it's like oh, yeah. we need somebody that has like that objective, like omnipotent look around the uh, college football. And it's funny because after all those years being in the NFL, you can't watch any more NFL because all your time is consumed in college football. <laughs> it's hard. No, it's really hard. So, like on Sundays, I'll you know if I'm if I'm if I'm around the house, I'll flip the flip the channels a little bit. I I usually focus on Seattle. That was the last team I worked for five years ago. Um, so I still keep an eye on the on the Hawks a little bit and, and all my guys up there. But uh, but no, it, it makes it tough. So when I get called to do shows about NFL guys, I got to be real honest. I don't I just don't get a chance to watch those guys very much. I try to keep up with who you know talking to talking to friends around the league with teams like. You know who's doing well from our game, and you know how, how try to get status updates on how our guys are doing once they get there. But uh, no, in terms of actually watching it and putting my eyeballs on it, it's it's tough tough for me now. Well, keep doing what you're doing though, because it is uh, an important service. I tell people this all the time, Jim, and I, not just because you're on the show with us. Uh, that Senior Bowl is something that people, if you're a football fan, especially uh, a fan of the NFL draft, you got to get out there because you, you guys put on such a great show uh, and keep doing what you're doing, man. No, that, that that means a lot, man. Thank you for saying that. It is, it's been a great game for a long time. It's an awesome event. Um, it's a really fun, unique week. I mean, with the with the entire NFL down here. If you're a, if you're a football fan, um, it's just cool to be in a town this size and the NFL. All the NFL guys, just like <laughs> all over the place. You're kind of if you're if you're a big NFL fan, it's a, it's something you should look into. We'd love to have you down here to Mobile. But but thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate it. Hey Jim, have a great day and a, and a wonderful weekend. We appreciate your time. Happy Father's Day. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a great weekend. All right. Thank Take you. care, Jim. And Jim Nagy here with us from the Senior Bowl. Well, that was enlightening. That's, that's Very. <laughs> always, always enlightened when you hear somebody else's take on things like that and how the perspective is from yeah. his end and where the cutoff is, Matthew Butler, and then there. Well, speaking yeah. of which, uh, one of his biggest regrets, and he talks about this, uh, we didn't get a chance to ask him about it, is Nate Hobbs. Nate Hobbs oh, yeah. missed the cut and, he, and, oh. and you know, uh, retro, uh, spec, retrospectfully. Uh, he's like, man, I, we missed on Nate Hobbs. Like yeah, he, he okay. knew. I mean, obviously he knew who he was, and but he didn't make the Senior Bowl cut. And it's one of those ones that, f- for him, you know, I, the competitor that he is, he's like, man, why weren't we on uh, Nate Hobbs? Because you can obviously <laughs> see that Nate Hobbs should have been in the Senior Bowl, but it happens, and yep. uh, that's that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, right. And it shows you that it's not an exact science. Uh, but another another feather in in Nate Hobbs's cap because he just continues to um, outshine what people you know whatever ceiling people had for him he just continues to bust through it and I'm convinced 
He's going to have a big year this year as a playmaker, you guys. Oh, I, I agree, and I, I think we'll uh, we'll talk about that in the second hour yeah. uh, about like who who from that first year is going to make that big leap in the second year. But you know, for Diablo to train at linebacker at the Senior Bowl for the first time and then to excel at that role once he gets to the NFL is. That that's mind blowing for me. I mean, that's beyond just football IQ and versatility. That's a, that's an inner strength that few people know. Dylan playing center, right, Heidi? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and and trust me, these guys are very frank with these guys. Look, do you want to play in the NFL? Great, you're gonna have to play linebacker. Uh, this is where you're gonna have to be. You want to make yourself more marketable? You got to take some snaps at center. I never played center before. Yeah, well, we see that you could play center. Like those are the conversations that uh, are, are are ongoing, and players have to be open to the. God's honest truth, because there's no sugarcoating things. There's no trying to like sneak your way through. This is basically your path to the NFL. Follow our advice, uh, and you'll and you'll get there. Uh, and some players are resistant to that, obviously. And I'm not knocking Alex Leatherwood for this, but he wanted to play left tackle, right? Yeah, and he had a bad week. Mm-hmm. He had a bad week at the Senior Bowl. I was there. It wasn't a good week for Alex Leatherwood. And I, I don't know if it was he was a little bit out of shape or um, he was just playing the position that he's really not cut out to play, left tackle. Um, he probably should have uh, you know, uh, taken the advice and played right tackle. He would have had probably a better week. But it just goes to show you that sometimes you have to be open-minded and listen to people that have done this before and have gotten people to the NFL and, and, and know what they're looking for as well. You uh, you heard it right there when you, when Jim was talking about it that if you get moved inside from tackle to guard you're going to realize that that game is a lot quicker than you could <laughs> ever imagined yeah and don't think that you just make that easy jump like that and uh, Leatherwood had to make that jump because there was no other spot for him I can't even imagine what it's like for them to make that kind of a leap because it's completely like we were just talking about yesterday and it's a stupid simple thing but in comparison imagine it like the xbox controller versus the ps5 controller right and now all of a sudden you're left-handed versus right-handed learning and so when you're going from left tackle to right tackle i mean that that is a stupid simple thing i just mentioned right but when you compare it to trying to learn an entire playbook from another side and then try to take it from learning a whole different set and how you yeah. approach and what hands you're going to use and cutting in. It's all little detailed things that are not second nature. Right. And then on top of that, he had to move to right guard. And just to clear something up there, I know I've talked to members of, the, of last year's staff about why they moved him to, mm-hmm. to right guard. And it wasn't necessarily because he was playing bad at right mm-hmm. tackle. They were willing to live with that and get him on a right track and, and live with all the ups and downs is because they lost all their guards. Mm-hmm. Richie Incognito, Denzel Good, and then when Jermaine came in, he wasn't playing well. It was a sieve. So they had to figure out, who, what's the next best five? All right, the next best five is moving Alex to right guard to take to, to close that hole or hopefully close that hole and then bring in Brandon Parker at right tackle. That's it. It wasn't just because he was playing bad. It was because the guard was playing bad. That's right, yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, um, we'll we'll get into this conversation more in the second hour. Stay with us here on Raider Nation Radio. Vinny, Heidi, and Clay will get into more on the defensive side of the ball here on Raider Nation Radio. But first, we'll give you a chance to hook Pops up for Father's Day. I still got some dining cards from Fogo de Chon. A $150 dining card. We get it for you. Be caller number nine at 702-365-9200, where you can try and discover the new foods you can't get anywhere else. Welcome to What's Next at Fogo de Chon. Reservations at Fogo.com. 702-365-9200. Back after this on Raider Nation Radio. Hey, guys. It's your boy, Vinny B. from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. 
guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news. All TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right. TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas.